And I really believe because if you need to prepare to teach a subject, you investigate that subject, right? You validate that your assumptions are right. So you'll get the data, right? You'll dig, you know, deeper in order to prepare yourself to teach. So I think teaching is a great way to also build knowledge for you. Hi, everyone. You're listening to Scaling DevTools, the show that investigates how DevTools go from zero to one. I am joined today by Vera Tiago, who is Developer Advocacy Manager at OutSystems. Vera, thanks so much for joining. Thanks for having me, Jack. I've listened to a lot of your stuff on different podcasts and on Twitter, and I know you put out like some amazing kind of thoughts and knowledge in developer advocacy. So really excited to have you on today. Could you tell us a little bit about yourself and about OutSystems and, and your background? I have a computer science engineering degree. I started my career by being a PHP developer. Then I did a bit of .NET in the past. And at a certain point, I realized that I wanted to try out something new. So I decided to join OutSystems as a software developer and get an excuse to learn, you know, a different tool. So OutSystems, for everyone that don't know what it is, is a, is a developer tool. It's, it has a visual language. Essentially, you program, you do your, you know, development in using visual widgets, which represent uh, lines of codes under the woods. So I did professional services for three years, and then I start moving to areas that lead me to this role. So I start by becoming a trainer, you know, teaching how to develop without systems. And at a certain point, someone called me, uh, you know, from product management saying, Vera, do you want to change the world? You know, oh, of course, yes. <laughs> and that's when we started the developer relations team at OutSystems, um, just two of us. By that time, we didn't call ourselves developer relations because it was not something that we were very, very familiar with. We call our team Ignite, which was, you know, our main purpose was to ignite the community of developers. That's my path until I became a developer relations person, developer, right now more focused on developer advocacy. And I know you've been like really a driving force and OutSystems is one of those companies. It's not like a household name, but they're, you know, absolutely huge. I think you've got like 6,000 employees or something like that. Right? <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah, it's big. <laughs> yeah, that's amazing. And could you tell us a bit about what developer advocacy looks like at OutSystems? Yeah, I can share what it looks like right now because it changed over the time, right? Developer advocacy, it's part of our bigger developer relations team. So essentially we have community management, community grow and engagement. And then we have developer advocacy, which is a technical pool of people. And then we have developer marketing inside our marketing department. We are not in marketing anymore. We are in product again, in the product organization. Yeah, and, and our main goal right now is to build credibility among developers. So our team, developer relations team as a, the whole team, we have three main pillars. One is growth, right? Bringing more developers to the community, to the ecosystem. Another one is retention, right? Is is keeping developers engaged and being you know productive with our product. And then we have this third pillar, which is credibility, which is more about how do you bring visibility to your, you know, to, to our tool, to the developer community. And I know if you and if you feel this, there's a lot of noise nowadays, right? So there's a lot of developer tools out there because everyone is trying to simplify 
the work you know, of developers because you know there's a short shortage of developers around the world uh, for for the business needs. So um, people keep trying you know tools out there. But yeah, so we essentially are trying my team developer advocacy spread the word, create brand awareness, but also you know make developers see us as a serious tool that it can use to be successful on on, on their job. Uh, and kind of you touched on that like departments and and now you're in product but you were in like the marketing department before could you talk a bit about like kind of why you kind of were moving around there yeah it's crazy so developer relations they can have an impact on many areas of the organization right so they can you know help marketing help customer success uh, you know support so we can help in we developer relations can help in many areas the thing is you should focus on one area at a time, right? And that's why the, the area that is screaming at the time that it needs more help or support is the one that we go. So, for example, when we started, our main goal is uh, was building a sustainable community. So, essentially putting our end users, helping each other online through forums, right? But also contributing to the product for you know, for evolving the product that was, you know, in products. So our focus was mainly community. And then we moved to the marketing organization because we realized that we needed more brand awareness, right? And this was one of the most underserved areas because we have essentially two personas in our scenario, which is we have someone which we call the IT decision makers who are the ones who find us and evaluate us and, and make the decision to buy us. And then we have the end user, which are the developers. And most of our, you know, uh, marketing efforts right now or in the past went towards the RTDM persona, right? So they needed our team to help, you know, essentially building content, right? And then defining tactics to create brand awareness for developers. So one of our pillars was video content. So it was the first time that we started creating video content for for developers we already you know had and we have training uh, online training which you know are content video content for developers but we start creating you know bite size videos so that we could address problems that developer have today right and they could solve you know by stumbling in one of our contents for example consuming a rest api right we have that content actually it was one of our most popular contents on YouTube, which is how to consume a REST API without systems. And everyone was, oh my God, this is so easy. You know, oh, thank you. <laughs> right. But it was it's something very, very simple. But that is one of the, the examples, right? Why we are driving more interest to our systems and in creating brand awareness. So we moved from products, you know, from to marketing. You know, and our, you know, our focus was more acquisition. I think it's, it's probably a bad, you know, word, but yeah, we want to, acquire, right? bring more developers to our ecosystem. But then we move to product again. So right now we are on the product side again. Brand awareness is still important and it's one of our pillars. But yeah, we are doing you know other stuff uh, in the product organization. And it's good to work closely to engineers, to product managers, because we can influence more the roadmap, the product roadmap, and you know bring the developer's voice into inside. That's like super interesting. So do you think like a developer advocacy team should almost put like wheels on their desk or something so they can like 
easily just move around departments like as the company changes <laughs> yeah so yeah so uh, i think we were not the ones you know who, who push that transition right because you know management changes you know there are reorgs right and and we sometimes we look at the structure and we see okay this is a team what they are doing right how they can how we can leverage them right Ideally, probably would have you know people in every department, right? <laughs> probably a distributed developer relations team. Went okay, so this team focus on acquisition. This team focus on product ideation. This team focus on customer success, right? And you cannot distribute the work, right? But I don't know how this would work. Like, okay, we are the developer relations team, but we work. You work in this department, that department, that department. But yeah, this is an idea that I have. That I don't know in the future, maybe. In, 10 years, we will see more distributed teams across the company. Because again, like I said, this can have impact on different areas, right? And areas, depending on the area, you need more help or not. So it's just a matter of identifying the priorities. But yeah, we didn't push for these reorgs and moves. So it's, I think it was the result of our work that brought us visibility uh, on the things that we can help, right? So someone made the decision, essentially. Yeah. <laughs> It was a pull situation rather than a... Yeah. <laughs> That's really cool. So one of the other things that you mentioned around like kind of the decision makers being different between the developers. So like the people that use it are, are not the same as people that buy it. This is a challenge that a lot of people face. And I just wondered if you could like kind of dig in a bit more because I know it's something that you have a lot of thoughts on. And I'm about to create a new definition in the developer relations area, because let, let me explain a bit. In this developer relations space, we consider essentially two scenarios. One is the developer first scenario, which, for example, Twilio, right? Twilio is a good example, which is a product that is meant to be used by developers, right? So it are the ones that choose to, to use Twilio, right? And then we have, this is developer first, and then you have developer plus, which are products who are not meant to be used by developers, but developers can extend and you know improve end user experience. For example, Slack, right? Slack is a conversation platform, but developers can build you know apps for Slack and bots, right? And things that could help, will help user experience of so everyone who is using Slack. And then we have, you know, situations like our product, which is an enterprise tool. We build enterprise software, which the benefit will be for the organization itself, right? So a large bank needs to, you know, create some home banking solution or something like that. They need, they need us to solve their problem and build this software fast, right? We kind of help business to be more successful and, you know, and tackle that challenge. But then, the ones that can drive this success, which are the end users of our product, are developers, which are the ones that will build those solutions, right? That will solve the business problem. So to me, is a, is a different situation. Although I was, you know, just sharing this with one of my team members and he was saying, no, but this is a developer first situation because the end user is, is the developer. Yeah, but you know, it's enterprise space. Developers have some influence in these purchase decisions, but cannot influence if you are in the enterprise world. It's the same that gaming industry. Let's consider a big game. They have their technologies defined, where probably there's a CTO who takes decision on 
where to go. But the ones who build the game, I think it can influence, but they don't have much influence, right? So it's, I don't know, it's a, it's a very challenging world to work, right? Because I think we don't identify ourselves as a developer first, neither developer plus situation. So we kind of in the middle. But yeah, just putting out there that is different scenarios and there's the developer relations people and developer advocates working in these two spaces. That's actually really interesting because even like, for instance, the CTO would be, I guess, at that point so far removed from writing code at like yeah. a big enterprise. Mm-hmm. If you think about the CTO or the role of the CTO, it needs to be, you know, a person who takes decision and, you know, needs to keep informed of the technologies out there and how, again, they can be useful or not for their scenario, right? And the motivations and the way that person sees things is different, right? Because you probably think about, you know, efficiency and how you can make your team more, you know, efficient. If you think about a developer, and I believe the developer or the mindset is slightly changes with the new generations, right? Developers think about, can I be more successful, right? How can I succeed in the software development world, right? How can I go to the next, to the next level? And until now, I think, or my generation, we were focused on our current stack, right? Oh, I'm an expert in .NET. So I want to do .NET because I want, you know, consider an expert, right? Instead of if I move to another stack, probably, you know, I have six years of experience with .NET and then I move to another stack and suddenly I'm a junior again, right? Developers don't want that. The same thing with a tool. Learning a new tool can be tricky, right? And and you are so used to your tool set, so to your to the tools that you use today, or you have a pain that probably you are looking for other tools to make this better, right? So because that exists, right? That scenario exists. So that's where a developer go out there, you know, and choose a new tool to try out and see if it solves their problems. Otherwise, if the developer is happy with the tools that they use, they will use that, right? So developers won't look you know, for tools like our systems, which are you know very expensive. It's like a something that is it feels big, but people actually don't understand how it works, right? So there's a long way for us in the software development space, namely enterprise, for us to grow. The CTO mindset and the persona who uses the product, the persona who builds the software, motivations are different. The way they see things are different, right? That's why we need developer relations to tackle, you know, the end users and to help them to make informed decisions, right? And actually in this situation that I just mentioned that they are not the ones who decide to use a product, how can we make their experience better when adopting our product? So yeah, depending on the scenario, your team can have different, you know, focus or priorities. So it's like, it's never going to be like a, a developer just trying it out and then like, oh yeah, let's just implement yeah, this, this unilaterally. It's got to come like from the top. And exactly. what kind of strategies do you do when it's like someone gets the email like, yeah, we're using OutSystems now, go set it up or like, <laughs> how do you make that kind of experience great uh, yeah so one of the things that is important in that scenario right when teams get informed that suddenly they are going to use a new tool is developer onboarding how you provide a safe space for people first for people to understand how they can use the product second what are the resources available to help throughout their journey and 
there's a, a, a side thing which is more horizontal, which is the way we can communicate with developers to show that, okay, this is just another tool as a developer. You will be perfectly fine, you know, in learning this because it's okay. It's just another developer tool. We, we don't, we are not saying that you need to forget all your other skills with our products, right? It's just heading on top of your skills, right? And I think the important piece here, which is where we can provide value is, is in how you communicate with developers, right? Because again, marketing people out there, I know you do the best that you can, but you know, for developers, traditional marketing techniques and the way you talk about things is sometimes it's not the best way when you go to developers, right? It doesn't resonate to them. It's just another email, another communication. In that scenario, it's developer onboarding. It's very important. That heads into the experience of learning and becoming productive with the tool. That kind of like reassurance that, Mm -hmm. yeah, like the kind of fear that comes in, like, am I going to get a pay cut? Am I like going to get sacked or replaced or... Like, will I go stale? Will I forget how to code? And, you know, again, because of our marketing team says that, okay, without systems and it's easier and it's faster. People assume that is that, I don't know, probably less skilled developers. This is the target for less skilled developers. And it is not that. Yeah, it's more, it's faster, right? And it's easier. It has a learning curve, but you still have to have your skill, right? And depending on the skills that you have, you can go into more complex situations or building complex applications or not, right? Because it's depending on the complexity, right? Autisms can be a better fit or not. And for everyone that has, you know, been developing developer tools, I think it's important to understand what is the use case that your tool addresses and how you can help, you know, people to discover your tool, but also be successful in while using it, right? So the use case is actually very important to understand how you communicate to your target persona. On that topic, and I know it's kind of related to education, but like when people are looking at like out systems, like another tool to learn and stuff, how much kind of thought is there about showing people that, they could use this skill like another job as well if they had yeah. like it's in demand because i know like for instance i have friends that develop tools for uh, salesforce and stuff like that and they're kind of happy to do that as well like where they're like because i know that it's a really lucrative and everyone wants to hire them and is there that kind of thing without systems about showing that actually this is really in demand skill as well when you see right now i don't know more developers talking about the career right so how this will impact my career, right? What is the next big thing? <laughs> One of the things that I get from when I talk with developers is most of them are looking for the next big thing. So where can I add value and where, how will my skills be valued depending on the things that I want to, that I start using, right? And one of the things that you mentioned is the demand. If you offer skills in an area that has more demand, you will be more valued. So, and I think developers, I don't know if everyone does this exercise, but they look out there and, you know, they look probably to job posts and they try to understand what are the biggest gaps, right? And I think they plan accordingly. Understanding, you know, the demand and, and, you know, getting them to know where they can add value, probably that will influence the decision where to go that way or that way or adopting this tool or this tool, right? One of the techniques that you, you know, as 
marketeer you can use is actually create that procession that is a demand for the skills because you know right you know that your customer or, or what is the business asking right so you should you know expose that to to the developer audience so that they understand the demand for that because that will put your developer tool in front of them have you got like any examples where big problems that out systems is like solving and how you kind of yeah so essentially is we one of the problems that we aim to tackle is technical debt, right? Big enterprises have a lot of legacy, right? And no one wants to touch those products because, oh no, we don't want to touch that. We don't to break that, but because it's working. I know we need to revent, but it's working. Just let it go, right? And it continued to head on top of legacy. So one of the things that we want to solve all this is technical debt on these big companies, right? Because without systems is easy to prototype so it's kind of show rapid value to the business and then extend easily revamp a legacy system in a couple of months and we are talking about big systems because one of the things that we do on one of the things that we we offer is the ability to you know use the data that already exists so you have your data right so you don't need to move data from anywhere else and you just connect right to that data another option right and this has to do with accessibility is okay so you have your legacy systems why don't you expose web services and we can create a new a new interface a new application consuming from your legacy system until we can disconnect it this is one of the problems that we tackle which is legacy systems and technical debt and I think that is going to make a lot of sense for like every developer. They're like, oh yeah, I know. That. I know yeah, that and, it, and if you think about it, we are solving business problems, but also actually we are improving developers' life because no one likes to do maintenance, right? No one likes to work in others' code. Developers want to build stuff. Developers are creative, right? So we are simplifying and having a benefit to them because, you know, many developers out there are stuck in applications and software solutions for ages. And the only thing that they do is maintenance. Just get out of that because that is not, that is not good for your health, not, not good for, you know, for your career. I couldn't agree more. So you're freeing people. You know? Yeah, so, free people. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's really cool. I know that in one of the other podcasts that you're on, you're talking about how in your previous life you've done a lot of education mm -hmm. in terms of like helping like new joiners like on board in in the team and, and you'd also taught evening classes at universities in coding i just wondered like kind of how you use those skills that you've got in developer advocacy yeah so i i usually say that i'm a teacher by heart my mother wanted me to be a teacher and I, you know, follow a different path which was computer science engineering. But yeah, I always like to teach people. When I started my career as a programmer, I also started giving classes and at the local university. So I always, you know, did these contributions, right? So, so teaching students, doing my job, right? So during the day, doing my job at night, you know, teaching classes. And I kept that for a while. I still have some, you know, relationships with local universities, but I'm not teaching anymore. I think it's important for our job or uh, for a developer advocate job is they like to teach, right? 
every every time that I'm interviewing people for job positions, when they say they like to teach, whatever is you know the reason, you probably you like to teach because you like to to teach others and, and you know to give away your knowledge. But also some people like to teach because teaching makes you learn more, right? So it's kind of and I really believe because if you need to prepare to teach a subject. You investigate that subject, right? You validate that your assumptions are right, right? So you'll get the data, right? You, you'll dig, you know, deeper in order to prepare yourself to teach. So I think teaching is a great way to also build knowledge for you. At the end of the day, being a developer advocate, yes, you follow up, you know, feedback for the product. Yes, you are evangelizing your product, right? Spreading the word. But I think in the end, you are educating about technology. For you to have a conversation with a developer, you, you should not just talk about your tool, right? You should be able to compare how your tool, you know, compares with other players, right? Where essentially, you know, you, your tool can be leveraged, right? And you need to understand software development world in general, right? So we are teaching technology, not just our product, I, I would say. So... Maybe when I retire, I will be a teacher full-time again. <laughs> but for now, it's, it's so much to do and so much to learn in this space that I just want to continue doing this yeah. journey. I need you in this space right now. Think, <laughs> oh, thank you. That's so nice. Yeah. <laughs> well, thanks so much for joining. Where can people learn more about Vera and about OutSystems? I'm around some, I'm mainly active on LinkedIn and Twitter. So everyone that, you know, wants to exchange some ideas, get help on a specific situations because developer relations is pretty broad, but depending on the product that you have, the situation, the service, it's different. And to me, it's very useful to have those conversations because it makes me go out of my vortex, right? I, I was born at DevRel Adult Systems, right? I know my context. But I'm always eager to learn more about other situations because it's the way that I have to help others, but at the same time, help me, you know, validating my assumptions and also learn more about the ecosystems in general. So people out there, feel free to reach out to me via Twitter or LinkedIn. Yeah, amazing. And you've written quite a few things on Medium and given a few Yes, yeah, so I, I want to get back to writing, right? I have a few blogs. I always try to share, you know, insights or learnings. Uh, and mostly because, again, I like to share what it worked for me, but I'm also looking for validation in if that makes sense for others, right? So I have a few articles on Medium as well. I have more that I want to publish soon, as soon as I get time. So follow, <laughs> follow Vera on Twitter and then you'll see as soon as they come out. So feel free to follow me on Medium as well. Amazing. Well, thanks, Vera, for joining. And thanks, everyone, for listening. We'll be back soon. Mm -hmm.